This episode of One Shot contains strong themes, including graphic descriptions of abusive relationships. Listeners who are triggered by abusive themes should proceed with caution. This week's episode of One Shot is brought to you by Iron Galaxy. Video Ball is a piece of electronic entertainment. Video Ball is a sport you can play. Video Ball is a sport everyone can play. Go play Video Ball. More information at videoball.net. Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your Game Master. This week, we're continuing our game of Exalted. Before we get to that, I want to take a quick moment to thank everyone who made my trip to California a special one. Thanks, of course, to my parents and little sister for providing me with a place to stay. Thanks to my cousins for their Thanksgiving hospitality. Thanks to John and Jeff from System Mastery, John Rogers, Molly Ostertag, Noel Stevenson, Ben Joseph, and Lola Binkard for being guests on future episodes of One Shot. Thanks to Jill Anderson for taking me on an amazing tour of the DC headquarters. Thanks to LaVon Jahanian. Matt Buholtz and Matt Cook for taking the time just to meet me. A huge thanks to Ivan Van Norman and the folks at Geek and Sundry for inviting me onto the show. It was a blast, and I would come back anytime. And finally, thanks to all the heroes who came out to the LA one-shot meetup, and those of you who brightened my day by recognizing me on the street. It was an honor meeting and gaming with all of you. Of course, none of this would be possible without our backers on Patreon. Folks who like the show sign up on Patreon to give us a small amount of money each month. Those contributions help make the show and the network better. And they help me turn this 40-hour-a-week hobby into a viable career. If everyone who listened gave just $2 a month, I'd be able to quit my job tomorrow and work on one shot full time. Before we get to the show, I'd like to take a moment to thank our Patreon backers. Egg, thank you. Trevor Cross, thank you. Trevor Cross is a video game protagonist. Mm. <laughs> Brett Abbott, thank you. Ping Z, thank you. Thanks, Ping. Rob Lawson, thank you. Relative Dimension, thank you. Max Carroll Smith, Thank you. Zach Wenning. Thank you. Gray Detrick. Thank you. Zach Blundell. Thank you. Thomas Anselm Biggins. Thank you. Benjamin Heitman. Thank you. TJ Gerber. Thank you. Thank you, TJ. Jason Ray Saroyes. Thank you. You don't think that's Jason Rav Saroyes? Oh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Jason Rav Saroyes. Thank you. <laughs> Michael Schuerman. Thank you. Sean Sullivan. Thank you. Thanks again to all of our Patreon packers. And with all that out of the way, let's get to the show. We are we are Excellent. We transition into the room as the door slides open. Shulkweedle uh, will hold up his hand to make sure that no one else enters the room first and disturbs anything. And we'll spend a long moment quietly looking at the small details of the room. Excellent. First, I will allow everyone to establish a fact or two about the room, about the way that it is laid out or decorated or things which might be in here. Because this god has dominion over water, I'm going to say that this priest's bed is made of extraordinary water that sort of bends to the touch but does not allow you to sink in it not unlike our still river now it's just sort of a soft pool it looks rocky it looks like it would be hard but it's one of the softest sleeping surfaces imaginable and uh, the bed is clothed in 
living water plants as well. Might as well make it fun. Um, yeah. So the the other thing is uh, out the uh, again going with our little water theme here out the back side of the room. Uh, there's literally just an, an opening where water is continually flowing that goes down into the uh, lake river. What do we come in on? Uh, it's a river uh, that, that goes down into the river where uh, someone could easily uh, go from this room and literally take a little water slide down into the river for a dip and presumably back up. Ooh, that's pretty I cool. Like it, I like it a lot. Okay, have some fun amenities, right? Yeah. At this point, the glow which Chalquitl had entered the temple with has subsided. As you look around the room, you have a number of investigative charms that you could leverage mm-hmm. here. And in Exalted, when you use charms, you can actually freely combine them in any way that you see, as long as they are supplementing the same type of action. If there's anything you're seeing there that you wanted to use, like Crafty Observation Method lets yeah, you case that, the that's scene. A cle- that's a clear, useful one. Watchman's Infallible Eye may be useful. Yeah, uh, I mean... It lets you know when you should investigate something, oh, okay. and this is something I, that you should I be investigating. That's already going off. Yeah. The sensory acuity prana is tempting as well. Okay. Um, uh, if there's something minute that can be... Right. I believe that you also have a charm that allows you to get yourself a full investigation excellency on any roll. Divine induction technique, the Sherlock method. Excellent. So how much would divine induction technique and crafty observation method cost together? Uh, well, there's no cost for divine induction technique. So five. Five moats. Five moats. So are you going to spend those <laughs> peripherally or personally? And just because I am a fool, what's the difference? So if you spend them peripherally... You will spark back up your cast mark, and that'll be with you for half an hour. Okay. And if you spend them personally, you will stay muted. Well, I don't want to cause a scene too many times in too quick succession, particularly being careful not to uh, outshine Mal, who uh, I would prefer to be the most highly regarded among us. So I'll spend them personally. Excellent. So you will get, in addition to your base pool of 20 dice for this roll because of your divine induction technique you will additionally gain two extra dice for your stunt so that's a pool of 22 dice wow Wow. and for the record the crafty observation method takes what would normally be 15 minutes to an hour of investigation and allows him to case the entire room and its vital details in a matter of seconds also yeah essence automatic successes and double nines in the attempt wow so you get one automatic success and yep. you double nines. Okay. This is these barely fit in my hands. Bananas. I will remind you as you roll this, five is the cap on almost all difficulty. <laughs> okay. So that is seven successes plus the uh so eight with the automatic. So eight still very, very firmly clears the bar here. Looking around the room. It seems as though the room has almost been methodically set back in place. It seems like almost nothing is out of touch or out of order. But as you look around on the bed, the living plant which forms the bedding, there's a smidge, just a tiny rubbing of dirt muddied dirt that doesn't fit with the rich silt that filled the sanctum and that you've seen throughout the temple. This is raw and rough dirt. 
And here's something that I think is really, really great about the Exalted investigation system is that when you get a clue, you don't just get a clue. You are informed of the good and reasonable deduction that that clue allows you to gather. So this clue indicates that before he left, Edie had been in the degenerate slums of Great Forks, and that likely, too, is where he returned with the things that he gathered, which from your investigation appears to be some simple clothing. There appears to be a ledger and an inkwell that are missing, based on the placement of collection of dust around the desk, etc., but likely based on the combination of dirt and incense ash, he came from the slums. Friends, what do you see in this room? I see some very finely appointed decoration, if I do say so myself. The room seems to be quite in balance. And does the elegance or the balance stand companionably with someone in extreme emotional distress, leaving in haste? It does not. The lack of disorder is itself disorderly. Of course. I understood that, I think. He, I mean, you, understood you were talking Mal. about it, so... Chilquidal smiles radiantly at, at Mal. He, he loves when, when he does this. There are a few things missing, though. A few rough edges. Absolutely. 100% correct. Very, very astute. If you wouldn't mind just... Getting us started, as I'm sure everyone in the room has a lot, dozens perhaps, of observations that we've made. I feel like you're really excited about talking about them first, right? Of course. There appears to be a space for a ledger on this shelf here and a companion inkwell. Both gone. This plant is in immaculate condition. It looks as though it's not been used recently, but you see here on the edge of this leaf... This dirt is not native to this sanctum. It feels and smells of desperation. Interesting. I believe it to have originated in the less well-appointed, the less fortunate areas of town. I I believe that this ledger and whatever it contained were taken to the slums, and whoever took them had been there before. So the question that we then have is, do we believe this priest truly cared for the god or do we believe they were here for some other nefarious deed i find it interesting that they would just up and leave mal the people that follow you i gave my arm for you in service i would never leave you in the middle of the night chiquil has the same dedication those that follow you enchant your name you are of course not a god but the dedication that you have, the love from your followers, is of that magnitude that someone who is a god would have their most loved follower. Even not even so much a follower. Up and leave is certainly nefarious, so the question is, is this someone else's doing, or was there no love to begin with? As for the truth of his love and devotion, I need but the chance to look in his eyes. Would we all have that power? I do find this situation curious, friends. I will say that based on the mere decoration of this room, I can get no sense of self of this person. Uh, everything is very neat and orderly and devoid of an individual sense. In my experience, humans can be fickle. They can pledge devotion one day and through time, either maturity, immaturity, some other emotional state 
bonds that were quite strong once can change. It takes a resolute emotional state to devote oneself to something holy. It takes an intellectual backing that forces one to stay, even at times where it would be easier to leave. Uh, I, I cannot fault someone for deciding to go after 15 years of devotion simply because a man 15 years before is not the same man as 15 years later. It is very odd for a person to secretly devote themselves to anything for 15 years. I must imagine at some point there was genuine love. I would caution us to not seek betrayal because we may find it where it is not if we do. But we must speak to this priest. And if we believe the slums are the place they're to be found, then we must away. Do we worry about the characters that inhabit the slums of this town? I believe we worry, that concern but not is unduly. Yes. I, Lee, never worry, because I know you are at my side. But also be prepared, because this Edie is entirely likely to be suffering pain of his own. And yes. pain can make one dangerous. Indeed. Then we go find Edie, and we find our answers. And hopefully bring peace to this region. Agreed. And delicious croissants. We must. All in good time, my friends. Peace and croissants. Not a bad name. <laughs> a more name. noble goal there never was. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. So, the slums of Great Forks lie not along the river, but down the way from the most opulent temples in the city, where sacrificial pyres and incense burns all the time, and there is particulate ash which intermingles with the dirt and unpaved roads of this portion of the city. It smells almost faintly of the memories of incense and the echoes of bonfires that once burnt. The buildings crowd themselves together and loom high, casting long, dark shadows. And as you begin to delve deeper into the city where Chalquitl is able to identify where the particular mix of ash and dirt came from. I want everyone to make a wits plus awareness roll. Really good. Alright. Alright, how do I spin that thing to make me all glowy? <laughs> so, you can spend up to your wits plus awareness, right. and you spend it from your peripheral. peripheral. And you spend at least five to start glowing, is yes. that right? I am doing that. Chilquidal is too distracted by the misery of this place to properly observe. He asks Mal, it's a city of gods, and yet none of them have mercy for those who live here. How is that just? How is that acceptable? It is not. But thankfully, we are not gods. So if something is to be done, it can be done by our hands. Oh, wow. Sevens. And the sevens, sevens count? Seven. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I got five sevens. <laughs> Um, yeah, goodness gracious, nine successes. <laughs> so... Five of them were sevens. That was a crazy roll. Wow. On the cusp. As Lee and everyone enters this portion of the city, 
Lee has been aware for a while of forms that have been sort of darting in and out between buildings, etc. And he can sense right now that they are drawing perilously close. And as the cast mark bursts forward on his forehead, a golden sunburst, it shines light, cutting through the dark shadows of the buildings around him as one form can be seen clearly and with almost an undue swagger approaching the group. And Lee can hear the footsteps of what must be 20, maybe even 30 others moving nearby. Yeah, you're right. It is pretty messed up that the gods don't seem to give any due to the people that they should be looking out for. However, I can't say that you're welcome here. We know where you came from. Where would that be, my investigative young friend? Uh, from a particular temple whose representatives are not well looked upon in this part of town anymore. I see. Well, if there is disquiet in this community between a temple of the gods and the good people of this region, then I would say it is the job of those who reside between the two to resolve it. Perhaps. And his eyes slowly look up and down Lee. Good, good friend. Your quarrel is not with us. Your quarrel is not with Mal. We are merely here on a personal mission, and we will be in and out of your fine town as soon as we possibly can. Uh, what I would highly encourage is that you take a step to the side, and our presence here will no longer be a concern to you. I assure you that our issues with Wellsprings Temple are very personal in nature. I'll have you know that. So don't go in a seating where you don't know what's going on. So go ahead and again roll your charisma plus presence for intimidation. <laughs> and you can uh, re-roll up to three non-successes. So you only got two non-successes. So uh, Six successes. Wow, what a roll. How many dice were you working with? Uh, I was working with five dice. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good job. Well... <laughs> As he says this, you can see his hand reaching for the knife at his side, and the glow of the golden light shines into his eyes, and you can see your own form reflected in his pupils, and his fingers twitch, and he holds his breath for a moment, and you see his eyes narrow. What he's doing right now is he's calling upon an intimacy that he has, and spending a point of willpower to resist the influence of your intimidation. And he says, So, you're here on personal business. I'm asking that you leave on personal business. And my friends and I are going to have to ask you to leave now. And he pulls the knife as the forms of several ruffians start pouring themselves out into the streets from the shadows of the buildings where they were tucked in hiding. 
first thing I'm doing, I'm, I'm scanning the situation. I, I've seen his stance. He, he is incapable of hiding any of his combat postures. He is an amateur at best, uh, yes. and has no, no, no business what he's doing. So he's of zero concern to me. I'm scanning the crowd to see what positioning they're take. I know Chiquito has, uh, has his, uh, his position. He? Yeah. Okay. Uh, has his position, um, well in hand, but I'm curious about their positioning around, uh, around the, the wonderful soft Mal. Mm-hmm. So they have clearly a lot of experience using guerrilla type ambush tactics. And you are at sort of the influx of a couple of different narrow sort of alleyways. And they are pouring out of these, creating almost a circle blocking in your area where they are essentially trying to put pressure and get you all into a small, small area where they can easily handle you. And at this point, I think that it would be good for us to roll join combat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is a wits plus awareness roll again. And this is where I should perhaps also explain some of the intricacies of Exalted's combat system. Exalted seeks to be incredibly cinematic in the way that it tackles combats. And the way that it does that is that it divides the attacks that any given character makes into two broad archetypes. There are withering attacks and there are decisive attacks. In Exalted, your initiative is a... It's a value that moves up and down over the course of a combat and is representative of how much control you have over the flow of a combat situation. And you steal initiative from others, taking the upper hand in a conflict by making withering attacks. Um, An example I see used is the fight at the climax of Star Wars Episode V is a great example of a large exchange of withering attacks where Luke and Darth Vader are not ever actively harming each other, but there's a very clear visual understanding of who's in control of the combat Mm -hmm. until the very end when initiative is channeled into a decisive attack, which then actually damages Mm -hmm. health. And that, too, is the way that it works in Exalted, where you try to grab a bunch of initiative... And then you make a decisive attack, channeling that initiative into, hopefully, a lot of damage. So in this, uh, hit points are essentially uh, explicitly not meat, as they are interpreted in other systems. Yes. which is in. So there's initiative, and then there is your health levels, and your health levels are explicitly meat. Meat. Oh, great. And most <laughs> of the fight is this back-and-forth... Until somebody gets a shot at the health level. Until somebody actually gets Mm -hmm. to the meat. All right. Sounds good. So, to start, I have a thunderous one success. Okay. I got three successes on a very lucky roll. I got six successes on a decently lucky roll. Okay. The group of ruffians is starting with a three, and their leader... Rolled zero, so Ben, on such, being so off-put by the amount of intimidation that Lee was throwing at him, Mm -hmm. he was able to muster nothing. Um, Chalquidal is starting at four initiative, so you take your result and you add three, which is your quote-unquote base initiative. Um, 
So the group and Mal both start at six. And then Lee starts at nine. And you one join combat, which means you have a charm, which is single point shining into the void form, which is your martial arts, like definitive style move, which allows you, if you want, because you won, to spend 10 motes for the rest of the fight. You will keep those tied up and committed. And you get to roll a wits plus martial arts roll to bring your sword into combat as a combatant reflecting the absolute utter speed and skill with which you are able to flash your blade about. Interestingly enough, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Solely because of how the narration of this fight's going to go. And I love it. it w- I would not be Jim McClure if I didn't choose narration over uh, mechanical advantage. <laughs> hey, and in Exalted, oftentimes narration is mechanical advantage. So we are starting with Lee. Okay, um, so, and if I get too anime style, just let me know. Um, oh, there's no such thing. Okay, uh, fair enough. Because what I'm going to do is I see, uh, I'm going to describe what I want to do, and then you help me out with the mechanics here. Um, I see the situation. The first thing we need is we need to get tactical advantage over what's going on here. Um, this is a bad situation all around uh, because it's hard to defend Mal from this position. Uh, you know, we'll dispatch of these ruffians easy enough. So um, the one strike I am going to do, I just immediately, my eyes cut over to the foundation of one of the buildings uh, that sort of uh, frame one of the alleyways, and I'm going to lightning quick. I'm going to actually draw the sword, cut through the foundation of the building to allow the rubble to just totally block off that path, immediately resheathe the sword because they're not worthy of my blade, and set my sword on the ground. Hell yes. Okay. So, I think that this will operate in the in the mechanics. You have essentially mob rules called battle groups. I think that this constitutes a withering attack against the battle group. Okay. We haven't done them yet. We haven't done one yet. I'm going to call this a three-dot stunt, which gives you two automatic successes, two extra dice, and it grants you a refresh of two points of willpower, which will allow you to fill up over your maximum. They have a defense value right now of three, and you will roll your accuracy pool, which I believe is 13 dice, and you can add up to 10 using your excellency if you should choose to do so. That is is just fine. I've had better rolls. Uh, I had eight successes. So you have five rollover successes over their defense. They have a soak value of five, which essentially turns that into a zero. What is your damage value? Ooh, I have no idea. Uh, Oh, that's not 131, it's 13. Oh, okay. Uh, 13. So, roll 13 dice for damage as the building collapses itself down and smoke begins to billow, blinding and choking these people. Now, is uh, is damage success-based or is it additive? It is success-based. Okay. Nine successes on damage. Okay. So, wow. in this single motion, you strike out Smoke fills the crowd. It begins to choke them. And they get a single die roll to see if they are able to overcome your majesty. 
They do not manage it. Immediately, you put your sword in the ground. Smoke is still filling the area, and they all immediately begin to disperse as the first person who came charging at you is standing there alone in the... The smoke is added with the tramping of feet as they flee away from you, loosely, shakily holding his knife. And now, it is Mal's turn. Okay, um, so a building has just been (laughs) dislodged by Jim, correct? Yes. Okay, Um, since this is like a slummy, more poor area, I'm going to say that there are a lot of laundry lines strung between these ramshackle buildings. Oh, yes. Um Immediately as a fight starts breaking out, uh, Mal lets out a high-pitched scream and starts running from the combat area. Um, and as he does, one of these laundry lines uh, wraps around his ankle, causing him to trip. The force of his trip dislodges the poorly uh, strung laundry line from the wall, causing the large, complex laundry wiring to fall down on top of itself, covering our assailant in ropes and sheets. Okay, that again, I'm going to say constitutes a withering attack. Okay. Beautiful and creative use. Uh, I love it. What do I roll for I this? would Scooby-Doo <laughs> nonsense. Um, Is so, that a skill on the sheet? That, that should be, be a skill. Scooby-Doo nonsense Call should Wolf. be a skill, but unfortunately it's not. I mean, it'd be a charm. It might be. Um, I've seen some ridiculous nonsense. Um, I'm actually going to say that this might make sense as a dexterity plus athletics or dodge, if you have either of I those skills. Dodge. I will say it's actually a withering attack that you are using making with dexterity and dodge All right, in your flight. That's fair. I have six to that. Okay. You'll get two for your stunt. Okay. That comes to eight dice overall. I am rolling. And that is a... But a single success. So, shaken as he is, at the last moment, as this close... Like, this enormous tidal wave of clothes comes crashing down, the assailant dives forward, actually rolling out and standing up having dived through a floral kimono, <laughs> and he flourishes it with almost a an upwelling of confidence as he waves his knife toward Mal. Not mm. so tough now, are you? Okay, does this dude have a pompadour? Uh, Just yeah. checking. Sure, he 100% has a pompadour. Cool, so we've got a knife-wielding pompadour punk who just put on a floral kimono... I hate to inform everyone, this is now a main character. Hey, everybody, <laughs> by Exalted. <laughs> so The great battle cry of the chrysanthemum. <laughs> An amazing tactical position by Mal. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it is Chalk. so much. <laughs> a true inspiration. It is Chalquitl's turn. I don't believe for a second... This confidence of his. Lee brought down a building. Mal charitably summoned forth the very spirit of the slums to <laughs> deter this assault. Chilquidal walks 
sternly and confidently directly at this person, staring at him unblinking with the intensity of a shark getting ready to bite. And he's not going to give him a chance to think or to bolster himself up or make any decisions. He's just going to simply walk up to him and try to place his hand on the hilt of this man's knife and force it back gently into the sheath. And he will have no choice but to go along with that or try to kill me. Ooh. So this is a huge power play. Yes. I'm going to say that this is manipulation plus presence because presence is the domain of intimidation. Um, I can't just throw three dot stunts out over and over again, so you'll get two dots here. But dang. And what can I spend on this? Do you have presence favored? Is presence blocked in? No. Then willpower. Okay. Um, how many am I allowed to spend on this? You can spend a single point, okay. but I will tell you right now, he has a resolve score of two. Okay. He and, is shaken. And what does the what does the willpower uh, give me? It gives you one automatic success. Okay, sure. Whoops. All right. Well, I will I will do that then. And that is three successes. So. Uh, four successes, I'm sorry. Five successes. I have one automatic, right? Yes. I, I keep being wrong. That's five. <laughs> five successes. So. You approach and you put the hand on the knife and he leans forward for a moment. The smell of the clay that he has rubbed through his pompadour to keep it in place, Mm -hmm. wafts into your nose, almost earthy and aromatic, and you can feel him strain for a moment, and then you can feel the strain give way to shaking, and a single tear rolls down his cheek as the knife slides back into its sheath. All right, all right, you know what? Fine. I guess I'm not any good anyway. (laughs) Can't protect my family. Can't stop you. Dragons know that. Hey, 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 hold on, hold on. We just got here, says Mal, getting up, like, pulling clothes off of himself, uh, trying to get his head out of a bucket that it somehow got stuck in. And I feel that we got off on the wrong foot. I am here... Um, and there are probably better terms for this. I am here because of a very sad fish. I don't have any interest in harming your family. And I know Lee doesn't have any interest in harming your family, nor could Chuli. I merely want to... It's a pet name. It's a pet okay. name, yeah. <laughs> Chuli. Chuli, baby. <laughs> What's going on? Um... I merely want to investigate a personal matter, and I believe, based on the conversation that we've had already, that you might have pertinent information to this investigation. Yeah, you, you tell me you're coming here representing a sad fish? I am here because, because of, a sad, of fish. a sad fish. Not no. representing a sad fish. The sad fish and his grief has made the river stop flowing. So if I must come here in representation of someone, I come here in representation of the villagers along that river that depend on the life within to keep moving forward. So so he stopped the river. Oh, boy. Yeah. I know a thing or two. 
about this sad fish. I can almost guarantee you, however, that that sadness that you see is completely disingenuous. Mm. If my cousin has anything to say about it, and believe me, he does, that fish is nothing but a dirty liar. Well, the plot has certainly thickened, and I believe thickened to the point where it must be thinned, because this, my friends, is a matter of the heart, which makes it a blood feud, and what thins blood is alcohol. Come, let us purchase you something to drink while you regale us with tales of this most saddened fish and your cousin, who appears to be in some perilous circumstance that might require you to attack strangers who come bearing no violence in their hearts. Lee has a finger in the air, and he's trying to sort of parse through the math of the logic that Mal just presented. Uh, and he, he thinks he's got it, and he's, he's along with this. Straightening up his robe. Chilquita will uh, helpfully help dust him off. Thank you. You know what? I'm at a situation where even if I were to say no, there's not a lot I could do to act on that refusal. So yeah, rice wine sounds good. It's the soul of wisdom. So, what is this drinking hole that you find yourselves in like? Man. We go in and there is a cantina band playing. <laughs> God damn it, James. <laughs> It has one open wall because the building next to it was just sliced at the foundation. <laughs> <laughs> Already, I, I think like disasters like this are so such a frequent occurrence in this area. Already, people are just living in the rubble as though it is a normal thing. Yep, yep. Ants after a rainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just some people uh, dusting off some of the tables that have uh, parts of the ceiling and wall on them. Just clearing off the space. Setting up chairs around bigger pieces of rubble. Yeah, hey, new tables. Awesome. We just expanded. The owner of this establishment, an older woman, comes by and, without asking for any orders, simply places a large bottle of rice wine down with several cups and says, Wish I could do something about it, but you're just going to have to excuse any particulate matter in the drinks. And turns I think away. That's, that's be quite acceptable. all right, mother. Thank you for your patronage. And she slips away. My cousin, Edie, always looked up to him growing up, you know. He's a little older than I am, and, you know, he was he was going to be the one who made it out. And for a while, he did. He got in good with that god. With Wellspring and, you know, a, fa- a member of our family, finally, a priest. Not right. some beggar. Not a pickpocket. He was making something for himself and... You know, maybe the family was going to come up with them. And our hope allowed us to turn a blind eye to what's really been happening. A couple weeks ago, Edie came home. Talking to my mom, because his mom, my aunt, she she passed a while ago. And so did uh, my uncle. And... uh, He was wearing such nice clothes, but something, something ruined it. There was dirt and blood underneath these fine silk robes. And he said that he was done, that he was finally over it, that for years 
whenever something didn't go right, there weren't enough offerings or somebody misread a prayer, that Wellspring would take out that frustration on Evie. Sometimes physically, but the way that he was talking at that time, it's like he didn't even think that he had any worth sometimes outside of his ability to fulfill this river god's desires to be perfect, to make his worship the best thing that it's ever been. And it wasn't joyous. It was laborious, and it was punishing. With all due respect to new friend who tried to stab Mao in the street, um... I hear the words coming from you. I would very much like to hear the words coming from him. By all means, uh, Edie, why don't you come over here? And across the bar, in a corner, there is a man of about 45 years old, lightly graying hair, olive-colored skin, a very, very thick and robust mustache, and... What Chalquidal is able to relatively quickly recognize as some actually very valuable gold bands, which have been wrapped and obscured to look like they are patched up and worthless. Mm -hmm. You'll have to excuse my cousin and his rough manner of speaking. I, ha- I take no issue with it, but I know that sometimes people visit the slums and are taken aback. We've excused him more than that today. There's I no don't think he worry. did anything wrong. Oh, Ahmed, what have you done? What have you done? Look, I was- Mal has forgiven him, so no wrongdoing has occurred. Yeah, he didn't succeed in stabbing anyone. That is a factual statement, That's Mal. probably correct. <laughs> stabbing, goodness, I... I asked for protection, not for others to come to harm. Mm. I think you will find, and this is merely my experience, uh, when one receives protection, others find that coming to harm is a natural result of that. I have had this philosophical discussion with Lee a number of times. I don't have any doubt Even now he grapples with the concept. <laughs> it, it is a, a difficult philosophy and one that I can understand where weaker minds would get confused with it. Mm. As Lee has instructed me many times, uh, <laughs> weaker minds do struggle with uh, the philosophy of violence. It is certainly not my place to unravel that mystery now. I will say that the conflict that we are currently bound up in appears to be driven by love, and will be worsened by love still. Uh, Your cousin clearly has strong feelings of protection towards you, and he's willing to do anything to ensure your safety. And so long as he believes your safety is threatened, strangers like myself and my companions do face the threat of his presence. I believe that you're right. Perhaps it was selfish of me to implore my cousin the way I did. Ah, but that selfishness has the root of truth to it, my friend. You must look after yourself. It seems to me that for a long time, simply based on the story of your cousin, you have been putting the needs of others above your own needs. 
So that sounds to me like an attempt to instill an intimacy in him. Man, I'm just doing this left and right without thinking about it before I make the roll. That's the beauty, in my opinion, of the social system of Exalted, is it flows pretty naturally into roleplay interactions. Uh, Is this manipulation or charisma? I feel like either one could go. It felt like you were being relatively earnest if I'll... If, at the same time, subtle and diplomatic. Hey, so. that's that's where my character lives, baby. Um, I'm going to use charisma then. Um, Excellent. If that is being slightly more earnest. And I guess integrity? So I think that this would still be socialized. Socialized, Integrity okay. is essentially your social defense stat. Okay, gotcha. Mm. So then I am using socialized, which is five dice, combined with the four here. With the bonus the, base three, with so. two dice from your stunt. Okay. And me- is meditation uh, an additional three? Uh, yes. Yeah. So I think that, yeah. Okay. You're not going to get that in one hand. <laughs> yeah. No, There's no way I'm going to, like, shake it in one hand. And also, I feel like shaking this many dice so closely packed accomplishes nothing. That is why I largely use a dice box. Yeah. I can see, I can see the need for that here. Oh dear, what a what a poor roll! <laughs> I see some sevens. Snatching defeat seven. from the jaws of victory. Seven. That is three successes. Okay. <laughs> Smashing. And no automatic successes. I, well, I don't know what was generating automatic successes you, earlier. It'll be a stunt or expenditure of willpower. So there are three tiers of stunts. There's one dot, which gives you two dice. Okay. There's two dot, which gives you an automatic success in addition to the two dice. And then three gives you two automatic successes and then two dice. Gotcha. Okay. So I just have three successes then. Okay. His eyes narrow a little bit. I appreciate the candor with which you address me. But you'll understand if I find myself slow to put faith in anyone at the moment. I will tell you my story, but I will not expect you will act in my best interest. I hope, perhaps, that informing you of what happened to me will help you understand the sort of danger that I flee, and the sort of danger, perhaps, that the whole city is in danger of, with someone like this in charge of something as powerful as the flow of the river. Of course. Please, share with us your tale. I was young. Not not but someone who had just become a man, coming on my 20th summer when I first met Wellspring. And it wasn't until almost 10 years later that I had decided that... I would devote my life to him, having spent time collecting refuse and dredging the bottom of the river for fish and other valuables. I came to appreciate the role that it had in my life, the way that it sustained my life, and being offered the opportunity by Wellspring to give back to the river what it had apparently given me was something that I could not overlook. I see. And... In time, the fondness and admiration I had for the river pooled its way into my relationship with Wellspring, and he told me that he respected and admired me as well. Over time, he showed that he was not perhaps as distant and alien as he presents himself to be sometimes. 
there are more approachable, subtler sides of him. And as I began to see those, I foolishly found myself completely enamored. Like he said he was with me. And things were good for a time. I became the highest of his priests. And I grew closer to him, it felt, almost than I had ever grown to anyone in my family. He told me that I had found my place. But it wasn't long before, even as his high priest who sought with every breath to please him, that my effort simply wasn't enough. And his frustration with the praise and propitiation that he did receive of it being simply insufficient or lacking in suitable grace led him to take it out on me. It started with comments, and I began to question if I was ever worthy of my station. But I knew that if I could simply make him happy that I would understand, I would know again why I was in the position that I was. And sometimes, when I succeeded, I felt better than anything, and the way he reacted to my successes. I've never seen anyone celebrate someone else that much, with that much enthusiasm and vigor. But even as I continued to fail occasionally after that, it wasn't just his language that was violent. And he chokes up and looks at the pieces of wood and the particles of dust and concrete that float in the cup of rice wine that he holds. <sighs> he sighs and he puts it down. You will forgive my forwardness in this situation. It is difficult still to verbally express what happened, if you don't mind the impropriety. And he hikes up the corta that he's wearing and actually pulls it over his head. And not along his arms, but simply along his chest and abdomen and back, there is a network of wounds. Does anybody have any dots of medicine? No. I do. Then perception uh. plus medicine from Chalquitl, please. Let's see what we've got. Three successes. Okay, so he is predominantly covered in two types of wounds. There are these long, sometimes almost blistering lacerations, as though he was struck with a whip-like object. Mm -hmm. Perhaps something even that left long-standing infection. It certainly was not a clean implement that left these wounds, and you can still see they are actively festering underneath there. And then on top of that, especially as you can see him twist his body a little bit to show his back, that there's evidence of full-on gore wounds, as though he was pierced through with an object, mm -hmm. and then by some means restored back to sufficient health, and he drops his corta. I, I hope that that is sufficient to fill in the rest of that story, and... In the recent weeks, he, Wellspring, has been muttering about the rise of gods or of forces who detract worship from him. Newcomers into town who 
through deeds are sucking away his adulation, who worship not the river for the fish that it provides, but the fish for the sustenance and connection that they give us. I see. He, being so upset and in the throes of this rage, hurt me worse than he has ever hurt me before. In the wake of that, I consulted with Ahmed, and I believe that you have a sense for the rest of the story from there. Chilquidal's eyes are downcast, and he can't quite meet Edie's gaze, but he says, I do have some skill with medicine. I may lack the ability to heal the true wounds that you carry in your spirit, but I could at least ease your body's pain if you'd let me. Perhaps I will take you up on that. But now, I I am recovering sufficiently. He always made sure that I was recovering sufficiently. But you should recover on your own terms, not his. I agree with you. And until I know that what hurts my soul has been dealt with, the lingering physical pain that I live with, that I cannot shake away, drives me to put this right. And I implore you, with everything I have in me, perhaps I was mistaken to think that asking for protection from Ahmed would mean that somehow no one got hurt. I was foolish. I was perhaps somehow still naive. Perhaps I still am. This world isn't built so that no one is hurt. It is for us to see to that. And so I must ask, I don't know who you are or what brings you here, but something about your countenance, about the way that you speak to others and the way that you carry your blades, I can see that something inside of you is powerful. I I do believe that we have been brought here with a reason, and there is something in the heavenly design that has brought us three, in particular, to be confronted with this problem. I thank you for your counsel and your wisdom, and you have my word that we will investigate this to our fullest ability. We will bring this to a conclusion that will end with the river moving and put you out of the way of harm. If you can find a solution that results in that, I beg it of you, because if the river stays still for too much longer, I know that if I want Ahmed to eat, if I want this city which I love to continue, I have no choice but to put myself up. And so I will end my story not with counsel or wisdom, But I will earnestly implore you, on no uncertain terms, shaking away mine own naivety, I want Wellspring put to an end. Not corrected. He will not stand for correction. I thought him to be human, but I know. Not human, but like a human. But I know on on no uncertain terms he is nothing like us. And the only way for the pain to end is for him to die and for something to step in his place. I have 
one question for clarity uh, that would perhaps help us in determining what is right and putting this place back into balance. Did did you ever love and serve Wellspring under your own terms? Define what you mean by my own terms. By your own terms. Did you go to Wellspring at a time when you truly did love and serve out of the own willingness of your heart? Or were you always a forced slave of a priest? I sometimes do not know. I believe that when I sought him out, and when first I allowed myself to become his consort... It was because the feelings that I held in me were genuine and true and full and good. But he has a way of working his way inside of and between people that I sometimes doubt the authenticity of my own emotions. Well, in my experience with trying to find balance within life and in the world... One of the lessons that I have learned is that we all suffer for those that we love. As my eyes go down at the limp sleeve of my right, uh, the limp right sleeve of my kimono. And he sighs. You can see his eyes are growing wet. Yes, I believe we do. I suppose that the most shameful part of this all, not knowing what I do and don't actually feel is that part of me, without the river, going still, wants to pack my things back up and to return. Time and counsel will help you heal those wounds and will provide a clarity that this situation cannot. This is no longer your responsibility. You have bared that burden for far too long. The gods have confronted us with this problem, us specifically. You have my word. This will reach a just end. I have at my side a counselor who knows no end of justice, one who knows no end of strength, and I know the power of word. The areas where you lack strength, we have strength for a very specific reason. I must ask you to leave us in peace now. There is much for us to contemplate. We have a heavy task ahead of us. And we must address it with clear minds. Yes, of course. And he bows himself down. And as he stands, Ahmed is behind him and he puts his hand on his shoulder. I guarantee you, there's absolutely no way you're going back to that son of a bitch cousin. There's no way. And he looks at the three of you at the table and says, I know I'm no force in the face of you. I'm no force in the face of Wellspring. But if there's anything, any way, I can make sure that nobody ends up like my cousin again. He leans into the table so that Edie himself can't hear what he's saying, but the three of you can. Like the broken shell of the man that I grew up admiring, if you can ensure that that never happens again, and if there's anything that I can do to help, you know where I am. We will see our way to the just conclusion of all these things. And, Edie? Yes? I am humbled by your bravery in sharing these truths with us. If I was really brave, I would have left a long time ago. That is not true. That is clarity that was provided to you by time. Courage is in leaving, yes. But you cannot blame yourself for staying either. It is courage that allowed you to do that as well. 
What you do now in service of yourself is true wisdom, and all acts before then led to the discovery of that wisdom. You must not blame yourself for the abuses that you've suffered. And you can see his entire face purse up, and his shoulders begin to weightily shake up and down as he tries not to openly sob. Ahmed grabs the knife from his side and places it on the table and says, I think that you've shown me that my time with that thing is done. So keep it as a reminder of the people down here. And he embraces his cousin. And as they walk towards the back of the tea house, Edie reaches a point where he can no longer keep himself from openly weeping as they step into the back. Well, heroes, that's it for One Shot this week. But don't worry, we'll be back next week with the conclusion to Exalted. In the meantime, consider checking out our guests' podcasts, Quinn Wilson's Swallows of the South, Rob Stith's The Orpheus Protocol, and Jim McClure's Talking Tabletop and Satanic Panic. Heroes, if you're frustrated and angry like me and you're looking to do something to save the world this week, consider taking a few minutes each day to call your representatives. Nearly all of President-elect Trump's cabinet is dangerously unqualified. Thankfully, a good deal of them have to go through congressional vetting before their appointment becomes official. Calling your representatives lets them know that there is public will for a better cabinet. Even if you don't agree with your representatives politically, they have to listen to you. Calling is easy and effective. You can find links to your representatives' contact information in the show notes. OneShot is a proud partner in the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you're an advertiser looking to reach an engaged Chicago audience, be sure to contact the co-op about advertising opportunities. And if you're a listener looking for a new show, check out Tight Pencils. Tight Pencils is a show that explores the process of making art and comics. Each episode, Matt and Kevin sit down with a maker, drawer, cartoonist, painter, or designer to find out more about their work and what inspires them to create. As always, a big thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you want to help us in a non-monetary way, the best thing you can do is tell a friend about the show. You can also leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Every five-star review we get helps new people find the show. If you want to hear more from the show, be sure to follow us on Twitter at OneShotRPG. Look us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OneShotPod. Check out our Tumblr at OneShotPodcast.tumblr.com. Check out our Google Plus community. Or look for news on the site at oneshotpodcast.com. If you're looking to inquire about advertising rates, live appearances, and commissioning episodes, or you have a question or comment about something you heard on the show, contact us at gamemaster at oneshotpodcast.com. One Shot is a joint production between Peaches and Hot Sauce and Paracosm Press. Peaches and Hot Sauce is a Chicago-based comedy network with tons of great podcasts, videos, and live shows for you to check out at peachesandhotsauce.com. Finally, that music, which is right now swelling up over my voice, is Be Your Own Pet with Adventure, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records. See you next time, heroes! I can't do it.